Hi, friends. Another week, another episode of Living Well While Living Online, a production of the Quinnipiac University Podcast Studio. And I'm your host, Tammy Riley. Today's guest has been a mentor in my life for about the last 20 years. And every conversation that I have with him provides me with either the guidance that I need in that moment or an opportunity to laugh and appreciate the little things, both so important. So I'm really looking forward to introducing you to Billy Mecca or Coach Mecca, as we refer to him on campus. And I know when we listen to podcasts, we're always multitasking and doing a thousand things. Um, But I want to make sure that you've got your ear really tuned in because you do not want to miss the words of wisdom from Coach Mecca. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Living Well While Living Online. I am your host, Tammy Riley. Um, So interested in how this week's conversation is going to go. So thank you for tuning in. I am with one of my mentors, friends, colleagues, someone I've known for a really long time, as long as I've been at Quinnipiac, so 20 years, and uh, love my relationship with him and everything that he has given me over the years. So so the, the sentimental piece is I'm excited to share this person with you, but I'm also going to say that I have no clue where this conversation is going to go. So so just batten down the hatches and, and bear with me. I know him well enough to know that there's no predictions here. And uh, this is kind of my wild card uh, episode. So, so hopefully this all airs. So I am introducing my dear friend, because I do love him, Billy Mecca from Quinnipiac University, who is the Senior Associate Athletic Director. Billy, thank you so much. Well, Tammy, I am humbled and honored to be sharing the same uh, microphone with you. Like, your value to me and to this institution during your stay with us is, uh, I, know, I don't think I can measure it. Um, and even though you're not part of our direct athletic family, you're part of my family. Mm. Uh, and I've been blessed to be at this uh, institution for well over 40 years. And, wow. You know, people come into your life for a season, a reason, or a lifetime. And I am so blessed to say that you fit all three girls. So happy to be here. (laughs) Thank you. No, seriously, that's our little love fest moment because we definitely always enjoy conversation together whenever we have it, whether it's a two minute conversation or we get to have something a little bit longer. There's always a little bit of laughter. There's always a little rolling of the eyes. Who knows where we're going to go? But, but I'm always, I always walk away so happy when, when I get to spend time with you and in full disclosure before I also turn it over and let you give a little bit of your bio, your life, who you are. Um, he did ghost me uh, a, a little bit. I had to really track Billy Mecca down. And that is unusual because he is the man of the microphone. He is the face of Quinnipiac Athletics. He is loves to do our TV spots. He does our radio. He's going to explain all that. So it was very shocking to me that he really avoided me because he said, oh, yeah, I'll do a podcast with you. But um, it's very interesting. Once I brought up the topic of self-care, he kind of ran. So so we're going to leave that right there. We're going to leave that there. And um, we're going to come back to that. And right now, Billy, you're going to just tell us a little history of your life, of all about you. Okay. Let me give you a quick little wrap up of who I am. And, and I'm still searching to be that person that I think the Lord wants me to be. So let's start with the story that I'm originally from uh, Maryland. Uh, and was 
blessed with an incredible upbringing, um, a sense of belonging, um, and raised by a mom, dad, two sisters, and a brother. Outstanding athlete back in the day, uh, you know, back in the 70s, <laughs> and have an opportunity to play a variety of sports as I moved to college, whether that's baseball, whether that's uh, basketball, whether that's football. I make a decision that I'm going to go play college basketball on a scholarship to Niagara University. And what I found out from an early stage was while I was the best on my block back home, you're entering a new environment and you're playing with a bunch of people that are also the best on their block. Mm -hmm. And how do you, how do you handle that? So year one, year one worked out pretty good. I probably played 22, 23 minutes a game and had an impact as a freshman. And although eight hours from home, um, that transition from the South to the North was difficult for me per se, but you know, I, I thought I needed to get away from home and I thought I had one heck of a year. Sophomore year comes and Niagara brings in a guy by the name of Phil Scafidi, who's part of my story. Phil Scafidi was a 6'2 Greek guy, professional baseball player, decides to go to Niagara to play basketball. And Phil Scafidi took all my minutes. Mm. And what I learned at that point was I learned to still value in being a member of a team and being a great teammate. I had always been a great teammate, but I had always been a star, and it was easy to be a great teammate. I had to humble myself to the fact that as much as I disliked Phil Scafidi, it wasn't my choice, and I didn't have the control to put myself in the lineup. Um, but I battled hard every day. I worked hard every day in practice. I never diminished what I thought my value was to a team or to an organization based on minutes played. Um, Others might have done that for me. Uh, my nickname for my boys up in Niagara was the Judge because I spent so much time on the bench. Um, <laughs> my father got me. My father got me cufflinks one year for Christmas that had DNP on them. Cufflinks were in back in the seventies, and I was like, "Dad, these ain't my initials." And he was like, "No, but that's on the box score, which was DNP meant did not play." Oh. So. <laughs> I, it, I'm a firm believer, and then when I turned into coaching, like, everybody is not equally skilled, but they are equally important. Mm -hmm. And for me to learn that at a young age was very important for me because it enables me down the road to be able to share that message with student-athletes who come see me, or I talk to coaches, just about those two simple words. Equally skilled and equally important. So that frames me. Opportunity works like most 20-year-olds. I have no idea what I want to do with the rest of my life. I had told uh, my current wife, my only wife, Jeannie, who's chased me <laughs> since she was 15. Um, <laughs> she thinks it's the other way around. But I wanted to be an orthodontist because I figured that was a good way for get Jeannie to like me and her parents to like me. Well, once I took a bio biology and anatomy class, I couldn't do that. So clearly, what am I going to do? Dan Raskin was the coach in Niagara, had worked at Quinnipiac earlier. A job opens at Quinnipiac, and I come to Quinnipiac at, uh, in 1978 as a system basketball coach, head JV coach, golf coach, tennis coach, athletic trainer, sports information director, and supervisor and work-study, Tammy. So I had seven jobs, Everything. and I made, made $6,000. and. Did I ever think I was going to stay at Quinnipiac? I never thought I'd be a Quinnipiac um, 
I never thought I'd be a Quinnipiac for 40 years, let alone for three years. Because at that point, Quinnipiac was idyllic. It was a thousand kids. Pretty bad academically. If you played basketball and you could spell Quinnipiac, I gave you an academic scholarship. So (laughs) we weren't strong academically. And I blink and to be years. fair, to be Go fair, ahead. Quinnipiac's not easy. That's no, it's a hard not word an easy to spell or even announce, right? So uh three years, it's time. All my friends now, Timmy, have moved on and they're now working in basketball at Duke, Maryland, NC State. Um, all the big recognized barbershop names as we used to say back in the day, like they know those schools and they want to know where Billy is. And Billy's at Quinnipiac, and they're like, huh, Quinnipiac. So my ego got in the way um, because I knew that the Lord's plan for me, quite honestly, was to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated and cut down the net winning a national championship. I knew that was my gift, that that's what God had in store for me so I could be famous. And I actually believed that at that age. Okay. So – Jeannie and I make a decision. We got to start my path to basketball. I accept a job at St. Francis, Pennsylvania, uh, as an assistant basketball coach to Dave McGarity. Um, and I'm leaving Quinnipiac. I got to go down to sign the contract. I take a train down to DC. We're going to get my mom's car and head off to Loretta to sign the contract. And I get up to go to the men's room. And when I come back, I come back to the same chair, but next to me on that chair is a copy of People magazine. I, I didn't put it there. I don't know who put it there to this day. I'm a big fan of Mitch album, The Five People You Meet on the Way to Heaven. And I think I know the four people that the Lord put in my path. I don't know number five. And number five, who's ever left me that book, that People magazine, because I open it. And when I open it to the middle page, it's a story about a woman who has lymphoma. And I found it captivating and heartbreaking and real, um, which might have been the very first time I felt what being vulnerable was, but I sure as hell didn't know what being vulnerable was like I do what it means now. Um, But I open it and I read the story and I get to a paragraph, Tammy, and it's, she finds out she has cancer because she has a lump on her neck. I instinctively touch my neck and I have a lump and I know I have cancer. It's a feeling in your pit or your stomach. Um, Mm -hmm. I go to the doctors three days later, um, and I have Hodgkin's disease. So two years of chemotherapy. I obviously can't take the job at uh, St. Francis, Pennsylvania, and I'm back here at Quinnipiac. Cancer treatments were very rough. Chemo was very rough. Um, But I had positive results. The mass in my chest, which is the size of a football, had shrunk to the size of a baseball after two treatments. I knew I was going to get better. Um, started making deals with the Lord. I will do this if you do this. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think all my support for whatever I did um, was all conditional. Did I realize it back then? No, I didn't know it back then. And then I go about my business of following my dream. Quinnipiac's my place. Um, I become the head basketball coach and enjoy success after losing my first 13 games. I realized that you only can win if you surround yourself with self-motivated people. And I had thought I could motivate anybody. 
And that was one of the lessons the Lord taught me. Um, and I do my thing. Enjoy it. Have success. Now been at Quinnipiac for 16, 17, 18 years. It's becoming my home. Um, and then we go Division One as an athletic department, and I got to make a choice. Do I want to be a Division One basketball coach, which was my dream, or do I want to be an administrator? And something was pulling on me, much as that pit in my stomach when I found out I had cancer, something was pulling me away from coaching. As difficult as it was, I was true to my feelings, and I said, this isn't right for me. There's more to life. There's more for you than 14 basketball players. Mm -hmm. And I accept the role that, the title that I'm currently in. Um, and then we bring a new AD and things change a little bit in terms of my posse, my people, who are now all shuffled out. And at age 40, 41, I felt alone. Uh, I loved Quinnipiac. I loved John Leahy. I loved people I work for. But there was more for me. Uh, Christina, my little girl, was five. And little Nikki was one. Um, and Jeannie and I made a decision that we were going to go to the University of Maryland, get back home, raise a family there. And I accepted a job at the University of Maryland. Um, and as soon as I hang the phone up, I had a heart attack and that sent me someplace that I've never, I had never been. It, it sent me to a very rough, dry season that turned into a state of depression and doubt and wondering what happens when you die? What happens to you? I had never had to answer that question with cancer because I was getting better. I never had to face what could happen. Um, but with this heart attack, I began to wonder that, what about me? Jeannie's beautiful. As long as she marries for money, she's good, right? Like mm. Christine and Nikki, I'll be their guardian angel. All my friends will be trying to go out with my wife. <laughs> What about me? Like, what about me? And, and through a power of prayer and 89 days of being scared, being anxious, worrying, I didn't sleep. Um, I didn't have any answers. And through my mother-in-law, who had always would talk to me about the Lord, and I would listen. Now, would I listen because I wanted to be with her daughter? Maybe. Maybe. But I listened. But I listened. Mm -hmm. And on day 90, in total despair, I read a Bible verse. I read the sinner's prayer. And I accept Jesus as my Savior. And from that day forward, the weight of the world had left me. And while my path continues to grow and I continue to struggle, I know what my purpose is. And I know why I needed to be at Quinnipiac. And I know why the Lord wants me to continue to be part of this community. 
I learned what unconditional support was and is. And I learned that the greatest gift you can give people is encouragement. And I learned to put people over schedules. Mm. And that's my story. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to give it like a deep breath and an exhale because that's, that's a lot. I mean, I don't know if I've ever met somebody who's really had those brushes with death in those moments, like as, as in your face as yours were literally sitting there, read the article. I know I have this, I have to stay at Quinnipiac. And then again, about to leave, pick up the phone, slams you in the face. Like if that doesn't tell you there is something bigger than us out there, like uh, it's like just jaw dropping to hear that, right? Goosebumps, hard to believe, but the truth, but it's the truth. Right. It's, it's your, it's your life. It's your path. It's real. And it's my story. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of sharing my story. Not for me. This story isn't for me. I believe I have to share that story with others so they have a clear understanding that if this little dude from the South, and back then Maryland was a Southern state, I'm not sure sure now, if I could get through it, and if the only way I could get through it was with my path that the Lord had chosen for me, I promise you, you're going to be able to get through anything that you go through. Right. Um, for those who don't know Billy, I know many people who are listening know I- exactly, you know, what he looks like, what he stands for. They've sat in his office in his chair. Um, but for those of you who don't know, his door is always open. If you say, what does he do? People on campus probably couldn't tell you his job description, although he has a lot of things he actually, I'm going to say in your, you know, your duties as a sign, there are a lot of things. However, you are known for holding counsel. People walk in the door, they close the door, they pour their heart and soul out to you. Personal, professional, shooting the breeze, whatever it is, that that is what they go to you for because you create such a welcoming environment. And no matter what someone brings to you, you, you just kind of breathe with them through it. You really do. It's been a gift I've been blessed with, right? Um, yeah. And it's something that I—it's something that I really do embrace, um, and I don't take for granted. And I know the responsibility. Um, but the conversation is always about um, how they're doing, mm-hmm. and it's unique, Tammy, when people feel comfortable with sharing as much as they share about themselves and about what they're going through, um, and to be able to fi- to provide that unconditional support and love and care and concern. Um, It's a happy place. And the thing is too, it's not just people who relate to you. I'm going to say like your peers, like people of your age group or your demographic. It is literally every age, every demographic, every religion, every, 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 anyone feels comfortable going in. And I think 
for me, right, I could speak as a mom. When your kid goes off to college, you just want to know they're okay and you want to know they have a person. And it's so beautiful to see the kids that go in your office and feel comfortable having that conversation and feel safe because sometimes you do need the voice of reason. You don't just need your best friend to hash it out with, right? We need a little something more to feel at ease. And it's so, it's, that's just so rare, I think, to find people like that, that can um, reach out and relate to everyone where that, that door is everyone, everyone. You know, you make it sound, and I so appreciate your kind words and you make it sound when you talk about it, the way you talk about it, 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 it sounds to me now, it sounds Oh my God, that's daunting. How how could I have that so much? And yeah. I think that through the grace of God, He's anointed me to do this. And I'm refreshed because everything is new. And it's not 350 people that you run into over the course of a year that you have these conversations with. That one moment in time, it's the very first time. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Um, Timmy, it comes easy and I don't want, and I'm not saying that in a way because I'm gifted. I'm saying it because I've been blessed with what I know are my true, my true value and my true gift. And it's, you know, they, they say when you're it's not your job if it's what you really love, right? It's it's your life's work, in, and I'm going to say in that sense. And this is really your life's work, right? The schedules you put out and the fires you put out on the back end and the people you deal with, like, okay, great, check the box, we've got it. The other stuff is the, I'm going to say, the the work and the the essence of your importance on on campus and your role that you fill there. It's my measure. It's my measure of success. It's my hill that I have to climb. It's how do I value myself? And then how do others value me? And I have to make sure that they both align. Like I can view myself a certain way, but if the people I spend time with don't see me in the same way I see myself, then it's like recess. Like there's no purpose to what you have to do. So um, I I spend a lot of time um, thinking about five or six areas of my life that are really important to me. Um, Being a husband, um, being a father, um, my health, whether that's mind, body, spirit, um, my friends, my servanthood to others, my career, which is down on the bottom, to be honest with you. And I have high expectations in all those areas, and all those areas matter to me. Um, but I spend a lot of time wondering when I'm meeting all my obligations and I'm not doing it the best I possibly can do in all those areas of my life. And there's times I need to make adjustments. Mm-hmm. I'm spending too much time on this one particular thing. I forgot about what being a dad is. Um, and I think of what I've learned, you look back at some of the things and um, as a parent, um, I think the one thing I never taught my kids and I feel really bad about, they're 31 and 26 at this point, two beautiful daughters. I never let them know that life was hard. Mm. Like I never let them know that. 
Um, but you know what, Tammy? Life is hard. Yeah. And you got to be able to fall down. You you, you got to be. You gotta. You can't be afraid to go for it. You can't be afraid of taking chances. You can't be afraid of failure. Um, so I spend a lot of time on that concept now, that it's okay yeah. to fail. And life isn't going to always be in a situation where you can control everything. I chased happiness for so many years and always – if you're happy, you'll be successful. I don't believe success brings you happiness. I believe happiness brings you success. Mm. And I still believe that. But happy has a way of having a connotation that something good happened for me to be happy. And I had to come with the grip is, what is it though? It, and I figured out it's joy. It's joy. Mm. It's the stuff that you can control even when shit is going bad, that you can still be joyful. And... I found that place and I'm never going to let go of that. Ugh. I, I, it's so funny as you reflect back and think about being a parent and we want to protect our kids and we think we're shielding them and we're doing the right thing. And then we get to that point where we're like, oops, this was, this was an important lesson that they might have needed to experience as well. Um, and it is hard. And I think, too, in your role, whether it's as a parent to your two lovely daughters, whom I know, or to all of the the children that you've adopted over the years of your 40 years on campus and dealing with every student, um, they, too, they need to know that it's hard. But but we, I mean, to quote but the inevitable, we can do hard things. But, Tammy, you know, the, the, the really the, the crazy part about this, honestly, is, listen, I I, I was blessed to have an incredible relationship with Savannah. Yes, and my I've daughter. Known your, I've known your beautiful daughter, Savannah, and watched, just watched her evolve from a little girl into a young woman into a, a woman. And I, I watched her persevere. I've watched, and I never had any, during my conversations with Savannah, I would never have a hard time explaining to Savannah, hey, Savannah, look, life isn't fair. Like nothing's going to be given to you. You got to earn it. Right. But I always did struggle sharing that message with my own. And, 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 and it, it haunts me in a way like, holy shit, Billy, you got all these words of wisdom and you have all this stuff and the Lord has blessed you with so much. Why didn't you do that? Why didn't you just say that to your kids more often instead of coddling or making excuses or daddy will take care of it? And that experience has helped me tremendously, but it's always easier with somebody else than it is yeah. with your own. I think you're right. It is. But I mean, they're still young. Your girls are still young, like in the scheme of things. So it's not like, you know, you oh, no realized doubt. it. Correct. And you realized it at a moment where it was important for you to realize it. And now it is part of the dialogue, I am sure. I realized I sure. it at a moment when my daughter said to me, Daddy, you always said it was going to be easy. Ooh. And that was hard to hear. Yeah. But being acceptful of that and understanding like, oh, shit, that hurt. Yeah. But you're right. And then we always get defensive, but I didn't get defensive. You're right. Mm. Life is very hard. And your daddy is so proud that you were able to do all the things that you've been able to accomplish on your own. 
Yeah. So it's, I want to ask you because I do know that on a, on the regular in in real life, like when my office was in your building, people were constantly in your office, right? And that's I'm sure now that we're back on campus. So obviously there was this moment which we all know when the pandemic shut everything down and we weren't on campus. How did life change for you? And I don't just mean like okay we're home doing work. Like your role, what what people go to you for is the door. Open the door. Come in your office. How how was that happening? Did it happen? Like, describe how how that was manifesting for you during the pandemic? Because I feel like that was such an essential piece of the physical building and the physical place for people. And when you close that door, what what I know I don't know what happened. What happened? It was hard. It was a really tough transition for me, who um, cares more about others. Mm-hmm. than himself and when that was taken away due to the circumstances of COVID but there was a there's a period of transitioning where um, I was unsure of how do you still continue to do you but the audience in where you gain Maybe your greatest satisfaction outside your family is in support of others. When that's taken away, I was able to reflect a little bit. And let me tell you, it was hard. Yeah. That it's really impossible to love others the way I do without loving myself. Mm. And I had to figure out, you got to be nicer to yourself. Okay. And I transitioned into that. And um, I know there was a purpose for me um, in just getting myself back in check in terms of those six or seven values I hold myself to that I had to hit reset and I had to reprioritize where I think for me at that time they needed to be. Mm. And it's made me better because of it. Right. So, I mean, that's the conversation obviously that we've had, I'm sure with many people, no one would, you know, choose to have the pandemic happen and all the repercussions, but it is in the ref- reflection that we're able to find these little threads, you know, whatever. You've had many of them in your life, the cancer, the heart attack, the things you don't really want to have to go through, but have really capitalized, I guess, on the the values and the lessons and really made you who you are. And this is just another part of that, right? This whole experience is just another. It was just another piece of who I am as a complete person, right? Because mm-hmm. what I ended up doing from that experience of being at home and working from home. I'm a very private person outside of Quinnipiac. Um, And when I go home, Jeannie and I and the kids were there for a little while, but they're off on their own. We don't, we're not in the public eye. I didn't really pay attention to my neighbors other than I waved to them. Um, Didn't know a lot about them. Um, but when COVID hit, 
couple that with a tornado. Oh, gosh. Yep. The neighbors became part of my extended family. And Jeannie and I have developed some incredible relationships with those that were right next to us that we would never have been able to experience unless COVID hit. Everybody has needs. Everybody has wants. Everybody has issues. Uh, And for Jeannie and I to be able to lend our support and our help and others for us, um, opened up a whole other world out there that it's just not about Quinnipiac. It's about a wide world out there that there are people all over this place. And any opportunity you have to connect with somebody for whatever period of time, damn, you better seize that moment and not take anything for granted. So it provided another avenue um, of outreach, Mm -hmm. I guess I would say, um, for people that were right next door I knew nothing about. Yes, so fascinating, right? (laughs) Right in front of your nose. Um, and, and so I'm going to go back, I'm going to circle us back to when I was introducing you and said that you were ghosting me, which you were, you weren't answering my email, which is not like you. You usually are like, Hey, what are you? Blah, blah, blah. And we're like on it and back and forth. So it took a couple and then you were like, I don't really do self care. And so I've already heard so many little things that you've talked about that maybe you don't see them in that way or name them that way. But to me, as I hear you speak, that's what it is. I mean, first of all, your faith. If that's not the biggest piece of self-care right there, I mean, honestly, your belief, it's part of you to your core, like it's gotten you where you are. So I know that if you're not praying, even though you said, and I know this, this is a Billy quote, I pray for others. I know that. But inside, you, there's the prayers for you too, right? It's for you too. No, there are. Yeah. So, I mean, your faith is such a beautiful way that you care for yourself. Um, I love already that you said not being able to have the revolving door going and you constantly consulting and and I and helping others, you had to turn inside and turn that lens on yourself and you've made more room for self-love, which is also incredibly huge. So I already feel like mission accomplished. Like I didn't know where this conversation was going to go. <laughs> but you you do have these really beautiful ways of caring for yourself, whether you name them or think about them as intentionally as you do the other things in your life. I mean, clearly they're there. I mean, you made it through cancer and a heart attack with a young family and with a, like... I don't even know. Is like, because the, the, is that? But is that because the devil doesn't want me, and the Lord won't take me? Right? <laughs> there is that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, Tammy, let me tell you why I ghosted you, so you know. <laughs> the expecta- expectations have a way of either motivating you yeah. or paralyzing you. Okay. And for someone that I have such great admiration and respect for, which is you, what you stand for, what your mm-hmm. purpose is, what your value is. I didn't know if I could do justice to who you are. Oh. And it wasn't until you kept coming and you wouldn't stop and you were relentless 
in in a way that was so damn compassionate. I was like, this is another thing, Billy, that the Lord is putting in front of you for you now. Like Tammy is is offering you an opportunity to discuss self-care. And I would say you're an expert in this field. You're an incredible (laughs) life coach, someone that I hold to the highest admiration for. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. But you're intimidating as hell when it comes to all this. So (laughs) it, it, it took a while but it was because of you and your persistence and your ability to connect and me not wanting to disappoint that uh-huh. it provided me an opportunity to say I'm going to be okay. And, and God, listen, I need some strength. I need some courage. I need to fill you. I need you to fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can at least, at least keep this conversation even. And if I lose by a basket, I lose by a basket. <laughs> but... <laughs> I'd lose to you any day of the week, Tammy. Oh, man, Billy. (laughs) Yes, and I pushed because I'm going to tell you the honest truth. Like, this is our fourth season. Mm -hmm. And for me, most of the time when I'm interviewing people, it is people who I know. It's just easier, right? So I know your background. I kind of know as we're talking what I can pull in. And so as as the host, as someone kind of guiding the conversation, that, that makes it easier. And... I've been selecting people that just I've been interested in having conversation with. Sometimes it's someone I haven't spoke to in a while, um, someone who I know, but, you know, we just need to reconnect. So it's been a really nice opportunity for me. And as the start of this season, right at the beginning of the semester, I was kind of like, oh, gosh who the heck else is out there? Who am I going to have this cool conversation with? And I literally, it took me a while. And I don't know why, you know, people aren't jumping out. And I was literally going through my directory. I was going through my phone list. I was going through Facebook. And so I was like, oh my gosh, Billy Mecca, how could I have not have had him on my list before? Literally. So you were one of the people driving me this semester that I knew I had to have this conversation with. Um, I, I just needed to, right? And so I wasn't, you and I can talk. We know we can talk. So I wasn't worried. Yeah. I mean, for those of you who don't know Billy and I, when we're together, we are Regis and Kelly, the original. Um, one day they may call us up and need us to take over and, and, uh, <laughs> Not, not that they're in, in the same gig to today, but anyway, uh, I knew we could talk, but yeah, so it's just interesting, right? When you were avoiding me a little and um, yeah. yeah. And there was, was a reason why, and, and okay. I've explained that, but yep. um, I've, okay. I don't, listen, I, anybody that's listening to this podcast, like, I want you to understand about me, like. Much like you who are listening, when I think about the past, I get sad. Like, I do. When I think about the future, I worry and and I become anxious. Um, But I really focus on the present. And what can I do today that will be enough to get me through today? And how can I be the best today? And then tomorrow brings itself. But I'm no... I'm Billy Mecca, a dude that's been at Quinnipiac for over 40 years, and I'm nobody special. I'm like everybody else. I struggle just like you all, but I do have a clear understanding of the person I am and the person that I want to continue to be. And and I Mm -hmm. hopefully, 
Hopefully that's enough, but that's all I can give. And I've learned that it really only matters to me. The people that give me feedback or the people that have been in the arena, the people that have, as Brene Brown says, like, I, I don't want to hear about anything unless you've gone through this or you've done this, because then it really affects and matters to me. What I want to do is be able to connect with as many people as I can connect to and let them know that whatever they're battling, whatever they're fighting, um, it's God's will. And God is good and God is good all the time. And so, I don't – go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. <laughs> and, and for so long – I've always dreamt and thought about maybe it's time for me to preach. Maybe that's what my calling yeah. was. Uh -huh. um, and the frustrating part of the preacher part is I have so many people tell me that are in my life, that are part of my life that don't believe. Um, and, and I talk to God and, and I'm like, like, I'm sharing the message. I'm sharing the gospel. I'm sharing the truth. But it's not working. And I got a message back. And the message was, it's not your job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. You just keep doing you. And my voice at Quinnipiac is no different than my voice if I was a preacher or a pastor. And honestly, Billy doesn't have the book smarts to go through theology school and learn all the doctrine. That isn't my thing. Right. My thing is a conversation, and I just got to do me because that's what I'm blessed to do. I know yeah. who I am. I know what I'm supposed to be, but that doesn't mean I don't struggle because I still got to carry my cross every single day. And through your insistence on let's have this conversation and me reflecting on what do I think self-care is, what does it mean, I was able to really figure out, yeah, you're doing you're doing okay, pal. Yeah. I I love that thought too. And and I think we're we've all been there where am I doing enough? Am I on the right track? Like what what if? And I think we do get to a stage, or I hope it, it's our hope that we get to a stage where we can finally give ourselves that grace and the permission to be enough and to accept. Like th this is it. Like this is all I've got. So it has to be enough. It has to be. And if you do it with a passion. It will yeah. always be enough. Yeah. Like if you don't lie to that person in the glass every night before you go to bed, you're done good. Mm. If you do what's right the right way at the right time, you're done good. So, Billy, in all of this, there's there's one question I always um, ask my guests at the end, and and I, I I'm always so fascinating. So I have two scenarios in my head of where you're going to go with this. Um, but over the years, you know, you are the ultimate friend, right? People come to your office because they confide in you, because they trust you. You know, you have all of the qualities and the makeup of a good friend. The true friends in your life, I think of Skip and, you know, your community, you're there for them. So you know how to be a good friend. And I want to know now, flipping that lens on yourself, are you able to be a good friend to yourself? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think I am getting to be the person that I'm supposed to be. I still have a ways to go, but I'm getting close. Do you and think I say that with a, I say that with a tear coming down my eye. 
because <laughs> um, okay. it hasn't been easy. Right. It hasn't been easy. Right. And I'm getting close. Yeah. And that's all we could do, right? Yeah. Present I'm moment. on the right path. I can promise you that. Yeah. And it I takes don't some of us. It takes some people a really long time to find that. Yeah. And and it's always happens at just the right time. It's been a long journey. Um, it's been a long journey since that heart attack. Um, yeah. It's been over 20 years. But I've made incredible strides over those course of those 20 years. And honestly, Tammy, they've been the best years of my life. Mm. And I had some great years in terms of personal accolades and whether it was an Emmy I won or whether it's my broadcasting or whether it's stuff that was gifted to me. But my journey over the last 20 when it's been about serving the Lord and doing what I'm supposed to be doing on a daily basis, I wouldn't trade those years for anything. Yeah. I love that. Um, I'm so grateful that you finally said yes. I'm sorry I, I pushed. Um, and I I don't even know why. Like, <laughs> but just sitting here, right? <laughs> I want to hug you. We're not we're not in the same room, so that's the downside to us viewing this. But um, I really just appreciate everything you shared. I love you, Tammy Riley. Like <laughs> I love you. I love everything about you. And there's not a do I miss you? Yeah, I miss seeing you on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. um, but you're always, you're, you're a piece of my heart and soul. You, you have given me so much that you have no idea of how much you have blessed me as I watch you do you. Thanks. And I, I am humbled. I am honored to be your friend. And Thanks, Billy. I love you, girl. You keep doing you, man, because you're having it. You're making a difference. You're having an impact. And well, mutual yeah. admiration is one of God's greatest gifts, and we got that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, yes, to all of that that you said about me, right back at you. And yeah. I, I do see it, and I am so grateful that I've not only had you in that role in my life, but that my daughter had you. I'm so fortunate that you opened your family up to me um, yeah. and to see how you interact with your kids, um, your parents, you, 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 you are, yeah. <laughs> you're a gift T. you rock man. I just had to you get rock. a tissue. Yeah, I've been trying too. not to cry a lot on this, this season, but Whew, you got me on this one. Billy, I thank you so much for your time. I love you. I thank love you. you. So much gratitude to you, Billy Mecca, for this authentic conversation. Uh, really, Billy's outlook on life and his ability to be an empathetic listener is something that I just find so special and rare. And everyone needs a little Mecca time in their life, right? Someone to go in, close the door, and 
be able to spill it. And uh, he and I had no idea where that conversation was going to go. And I know he was a little hesitant. And for that, I really just appreciate his trust in me and, um, and allowing me to share him with all of you. So thank you so much, friends, for tuning in. And we will be back for one more episode next week, ending season four. A little something planned, uh, taking you around the globe, tethering self-care practices and ideas together with what we're calling self-care snippets. So be sure to come back for the season finale. Living Well While Living Online is a production of the Quinnipiac University Podcast Studio, and it's produced by Renette Chafu. The executive producer is David DeRoche. Lauren Scupo has a hand in our social media, and the theme music is provided by Scott Holmes. To learn more about all of our podcasts, visit qu.edu slash podcast. And remember, you can listen to the podcasts on the platform or app of your choice while following us on Twitter or Instagram. And for that, it's at qupodcasts. And feel free to send us a note via email, which is qupodcasts at qu.edu. Until next week, my friends, be intentional, breathe deep, and learn to be your own best friend.